welcome to Portroid Cast episode 33. As always, I'm Rick. On this episode, I'm sitting down with George Hahn. George is a man of style, a New Yorker, a humorist, an actor, a curator of fine taste, a model of authenticity, and today I feel absolutely privileged to have him as a guest on this podcast. Thank you, George, and welcome. That is so much to live up to, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you. It's so nice to be here. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to see you. Actually, we met... Maybe six or seven months ago, mm-hmm. randomly ran into you on the street, uh, not not too far from this uh, this podcast studio, and um, I had been following you online for you know six months a year maybe, and uh, it, it's funny because I've we've talked about this since then, but you know I've taken pictures of maybe thousands of thousands of celebrities, and for some for some reason I was a little bit nervous approaching you because you were in my in my feed every day and i was just like oh this is a little bit but but of course you were an amazing person you were super nice and i stopped you and took a polaroid of you and then um we've kind of interacted since then and um so again i'm i'm very privileged to have you uh, join me on on portrait cast today i am so easy <laughs> so easy so thank you for asking yes now in my introduction i mentioned you're a new yorker mm-hmm. i know you're originally from cleveland ohio but to me and to many a new yorker is not necessarily someone born and raised here but someone who embodies the love and essence of New York. Uh, you've been profiled in the New York Times. You were invited by Bergdorf Goodman to participate in their Love Letter to New York campaign. Uh, those are just a few examples of how the New York love is reciprocated. Now, can you tell me a story of how you fell in love with New York? Oh, gosh. Easy. I, there, there are two stories, really, um, that came from childhood. I remember the, first, the very first trip I took to New York with my parents, we came to New York for a wedding, and my uncle Gil, uh, the same one I was telling you about earlier before we right, uh, yeah. started recording, my uncle Gil was from California, and he was the first one who ever showed me a Polaroid camera, and it was the most exotic, coolest thing I ever saw. But anyway, um, Uncle Gil was getting married uh, to his then fiance, soon to be wife, um, and her name was Linda, and she was this. Uh, I grew up in a very, like, Cleveland's, like, super white. Like, mm-hmm. my neighborhood was, like, super white. There wasn't even an Asian kid in our class all through grade school. Anyway, so we came to New York for their wedding, and we stayed in the city, and we had lunch at the Seahorse Grill, which is in Rockefeller Center. Yeah. It's right on the skating rink yeah. on that lower level. And we had a table in the by the window so we could see the skaters, and I could see that, like, statue uh, that gold statue. I was so fascinated by that, and I was fascinated by this beautiful, like Hawaiian woman, the most exotic creature I'd ever seen. She was so gorgeous, and so I was in. I remember walking down that promenade, seeing that statue that we all saw, like you know, like that classic zoom in from Letterman show, yeah. uh, where the tree would be. Um, I'd never seen a city like it. I'd never seen anything like it. I'd seen it on television and in movies. So I got my first sort of hit then. And then when I came to New York again, maybe a few years later with my dad, he brought me with him on a business trip. Uh, it was on the company dime. We were staying at a nice, I think it was the Park Lane Hotel on Central Park South. And took me to my first Broadway show ever, which was a chorus line. Mm-hmm. And... I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I remember my dad said to me, he goes, do you think you'd ever want to live here when you're a grown-up? I was like, absolutely. And he said, you know, this like hotel life that we've got here in the Park Lane Hotel and going out to, that's not going to be your life here. You yeah. get that, right? And I was like, I get it. I'm cool. I'm down with it. So those were my very first 
fall in love. That 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 lit the spark for yeah. sure. Yeah. And how, if at all, has your experience of being a New Yorker evolved since maybe your first moving here till now? Interesting. I've anytime I ever come into the city, so it's been with the exception of three years between 2017 and 2020 when I was in Cleveland. Um, it's been 27 years since I moved here. I moved here first in 1994. I never, Rick, I don't know about you, coming into the city, I never get over that view. No, me neither. Yeah. It still gets me every time. Yeah. When I'm flying in, you look down at it. When I'm driving from Jersey or the other side, it just it gets me every time. And I say to myself, I get the privilege of living there. What a gift. Um, and how has it changed? It's a struggle. I find that not right now. Like I'm like I I do okay now. But you know, a struggling actor as I had been, tending bar, waiting tables, other odd jobs. Uh, New York is a tough town, but I love what that teaches you because the people who come to New York come to be the best at something or to succeed at something. They have some aspiration usually, and so whatever setting you're in, whether you're waiting tables, whether you are working on Wall Street, whether you're a performer, whether you're in business, media, you are up against or working with other people who are at the top of their field. Yeah. And it's like, I say this all the time, it's like playing tennis with a better tennis player, it makes you a better player. So this is a city that asks you, if you want to survive, that asks you to be really good at whatever you're doing. And so it's not for the lazy. Yeah. Now, you have a great sense of humor. It's dry, sarcastic, naturally conversationally funny. You seem to have a love and appreciation for comedy. I know you worked for Joan Rivers. What comedic influences did you have throughout your life? Gosh, my dad was a huge lover of comedy. My dad was a really funny guy. Yeah. And he used to, um, he was a businessman. He was an actor once upon a time and... Um, also did a little dabbled in singing, and he was a great MC for events. Like, eventually, he got married. He married my mother. My mother, when they met, was a widow with four little kids. Wow. So the struggling actor bit, or that kind of, that dream had to, you know, he right. had to provide for this instant family that he had. Yeah. And then I came along nine months later. So there was a part of him that always, I think, wished he could have had success in that field. He would, have, he would have been an amazing, like, host of the Oscars or an Emmys host or um, a game show host. Mm -hmm. I think my dad would have been really good at that. And he loved funny people. Uh, Bill Cosby, before we knew right, yeah. what Bill Cosby was. Uh, Woody Allen. Uh, Joan Rivers. He had her Heidi Abramowitz book. We used to – it was back when TV had those campfire moments. And when we knew Joan was going to be guest hosting The Tonight Show for Johnny Carson – that was must-see TV. Yeah. Um, and it came from him, I think. And when I was around, and I showed, or I guess he saw evidence of the fact that I might be funny. Mm -hmm. And um, he bought me comedy albums. Um, I remember he bought me, like when I was in high school, he bought me like Sandra Bernhard's Without You, I'm Nothing, which was a one-woman show she did in 88 a Woody Allen album, a comic relief live show, Dennis Miller when Dennis Miller was funny. 
Um, we all listened to Dennis Miller's Off White album when we were in college. Um, there were others too, but I have always loved stand up comedy. George Carlin, gosh, Richard Pryor, Flip Wilson. Do you know who Flip Wilson of course, was? Yeah. Oh my God. I had that Geraldine routine memorized. I was fascinated by it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. Um, I am a fan of absurdism. So your razor sharp satire pointing out the absurdity of self important, entitled, deluded ignorance in your for me videos, <laughs> it's genius. Uh, your dead patent take to camera, punctuating the self righteous idiocy, it, it kills me every time. So how did that series come about for you? Oh god, it was an accident. It was a total accident. Well, the videos, the first one that went viral was an accident, really. <clears throat> um I was, the first video I did, I had this fake meltdown walking down Columbus Avenue. It was last summer, the summer of 2020, yeah. uh, pre-vaccine. And there was this narrative in the media, I would say a certain side of the media, that New York City was a hellscape. Right. It was after the riots, yeah. you know, after the protests. Uh, and yeah, there was a narrative being sold on the media that the city streets in New York were a hellscape. Right. And then Molly Jong Fast... Whom, with whom I'm friendly on Twitter, had said something on her podcast, The New Abnormal, or tweeted something. Uh, and she put up a picture of her street, and it was tranquil and beautiful wherever she lives. I don't know what part of town she's in. Anyway, that video that I made, the first one that I put up where I'm having this fake meltdown, uh, was a response to her. Like, I was responding to her tweet or comment. Yeah. And it was literally, Rick, I, I was walking my dogs, I hit the camera app on the phone, turned it to video, and went. No rehearsal, no thought, no nothing. You know, snipped off the beginning and the end so it looked clean and posted it. Yeah. And then it became like a thing. It blew up, right? Right. Like, no <laughs> yeah. pressure. And as I said, like, um, as I've said, like, I'm thinking, oh, God, is this going to be my Citizen Kane? Like, yeah. this was all he was good for. The for me thing came at... Thanksgiving of 2020, uh, when people were being, when we were being cautioned about maybe canceling our Thanksgiving plans, mm -hmm. and maybe the more prudent choice would be just to stay put, and people were, of course, complaining, well, I want to do this, and I want, like, the selfishness came out yeah. in a lot of testimony you'd, or, you know, snippets you'd see in the media, and on social media especially, so... As a reaction to that, because all of my videos are a reaction to something. Sure. Um, and for me is a phrase in the lexicon that has always bugged me because when I hear it, not all the time, but like when I hear it, I brace myself. I'm going, okay, we're about to hear something that's all about them. Right. And how this effect. For me, it means like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so um, – for me, really got to start with the Thanksgiving post about wanting to be with family and not wearing a mask. And I want to show off my, you know, my new DSLs because I just had <laughs> lip injections or whatever. <laughs> right, like. right. And there were like four or five for me's in there. It was obnoxious yeah. deliberately. And so that is the long ass answer to your question of how for me started. <laughs> no, I appreciate it though. It's great. Uh, social media is a tool that you use very effectively, uh, creating and building the George Hahn brand uh, over various platforms. 
Uh, I'm going to do some very quick name dropping, uh, as it always catches my eye when Ben Stiller likes your tweets mm-hmm. or Jennifer Aniston likes your post on Instagram or the friendships you've built with Richard Marks or Sharon Stone or Jane Lynch. Uh, I'm doing the name dropping so you don't have to. Uh, but um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, you've also been building up a large presence on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, from your morning walks or your morning shaves uh, where you talk about your life and thoughts to the more produced videos um, where you play both sides of the conversation, how have you found your audience engagement differing uh, across the different cyber venues? Uh, that's interesting. I-, I know people have – there are a lot of things to complain about about social media, um, you know, and I am not – blind to in fact i am hyper aware of the problems with it Mm -hmm. Uh, we've seen in the media lately about like the effect that instagram can have on teenage girls right yeah um but even not just teenage girls i myself can get caught up in the envy you know because people put up a very curated version of themselves of course i see couples as a single person who lives alone in a very small apartment all i see on instagram are couples with a second home living their best life. And right. I just look at that and I just like, should I jump out a window today? <laughs> sure. Um, so I'm aware of those problems. But at the same time, um, social media has changed my life. Yeah. Starting with Joan Rivers. That's how I got that job. That job came to me. You know, I call it, I call the Joan Rivers um, gig the, um, the unicorn that knocked on my door. I didn't seek it. And... So it's been uh, Twitter, and they're all different. Like, I'm, I'm not on Facebook. I deleted right. my Facebook account, uh, like, over a year and a half ago. Um, and I realized the hypocrisy of maintaining uh, Instagram. Although Instagram is not, genetically, it's not Facebook. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, although a problematic animal. They all are. Yes. So Twitter, um, I know it has its problems, but I have had probably the most fun on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Instagram is my smallest audience, um, albeit, like, I would say it's less quantity, more quality from Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the opportunities that have come my way or really interesting engagement and, you know, connections have come from Instagram, usually, sure. with exceptions. Uh, TikTok, I have my largest following by far, although I've been suspended from TikTok three times. Um and TikTok sort of seems like the new kid, you know, the freshman at the table. Yeah. And uh, in some respects feels like the lunatics are running the asylum. Instagram has a really handy tool. I've had my share of trolls. Um, Instagram has a great setting that I really like. I wish TikTok would adopt it. Where only people who can follow, only people who follow me mm-hmm. on Instagram can leave a comment. Oh, nice. Yeah. TikTok doesn't have that setting. So anyone... Can just go anyone yeah, I haven't can used say TikTok, whatever. But because I don't, it's well, to the my point. An image, I went through know, a period like, on TikTok yeah. where I disabled comments altogether, mm-hmm. and then people would send private messages. Why did you disable? It was disappointing people. Sure. But I got so much shit on TikTok from anti-vaxxers yeah. and um, like Trumpers and conspiracy theorists and just weird people on that side of things, and so I disabled the comments for a while, and then I put them back on. But really, truth be told, like the way around it, I don't read them. I really don't. Like, I don't – I look at numbers, but I don't go down the rabbit hole of reading comments. And so my message to all the trolls is always, like, knock yourselves out. Waste your time and your energy. No one's paying attention to you, especially me. So, Um, 
something I picked up from your uh, and uh, New York Times profile is the concept of an edited life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you live simply and cleanly with elegant surroundings and beautiful sartorial classic style of dress, uh, suits and casual clothes befitting a gentleman. Um, you also curate and recommend how others can up their style and lifestyle without need, the need to overspend. You're an oasis of class in a world of public pajama pants and rubber shoes. Uh, people can find your advice on your website, georgehan.com. Uh, but what simple tips can you share for someone interested in improving themselves or their environment? First of all, I want to hire you to be my publicist. <laughs> uh, tips, wow. Um, where I would start, throw shit out. You know, as we get older, and it's 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 a phenomenon and a very real one, as we get older especially, we turn into lint rollers. Yeah. And just collect nonsense. I know people who have, a friend of mine, for example, uh, who has a house. It's an empty nest. All the kids are out. Uh, They have three cars, a two-car garage. None of those cars fit in the garage because Mm -hmm. the garage is full of stuff that they're afraid to throw out, but they've never, they haven't touched in ages. Yeah. And they have a full basement and an attic. Like, really? What the fuck? (laughs) Are you, what is this for? Um, I've had to pare down and be edited um, uh, because I had no choice. Like I had, I I know how to live in a very small space. Mm -hmm. Um, Sidebar, I I saw something on Twitter recently. Arnold Schwarzenegger was working with someone. They were doing these like, like these tiny houses for, I don't know, people coming out of prison. I forget what it was for, but they were like these like, like not shacks, but like, minimally appointed, clean, brand new, like sort of like luxury prison cells. Right, yeah. But like literally there's a bed, a little bathroom, like maybe a tiny, and I was just like, really? What more do you need? Yeah. I mean, I need more than that, but <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating, but still I get so uncomfortable when I'm in a place that's cluttered. Yeah. I get really like anxious. Um, I get anxious when I feel too, too much stuff coming into my life, my apartment. Like when somebody sends me like a bunch of, uh, when I moved into the apartment I'm in now, people, what, what can we get you? I'm like, nothing, nothing, <laughs> yeah. nothing. Get me a, a, like a, a container to have stuff taken out. So sartorially for men, cause it's, it's interesting. A lot of, I have a huge female following. Like I think the view and I have the same audience mm-hmm. <laughs> oddly. Um, and I, I, I haven't quite figured out why that is. Um, but for men, start with shoes, classic, simple. It's the one area you can't really cheat on in terms of cost if you want them to last. Yeah. Um, like I used to buy floor shimes thinking like, well, it's, it's floor shime. The floor shime company is not what it used to be. Um, they are less expensive. But, for example, the leather is not as, you know, they won't last. The craftsmanship's not there. But... I have shoes from companies, uh, one called uh, one company called Alden, an American company. They're like almost $800 a pair. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money for a pair of shoes. At least it is for me. Um, and from the other side of the pond, a company called Crockett & Jones. Classic footwear that will last my lifetime. Yeah. They'll outlast me. They'll last longer than a car. Um, worth it because I'm done. Like I'm kind of done. Right. I'm only missing one pair of shoes. I need... In case I go to another formal event, I need like patent leather ones. Oh, I don't sure. have a pair because the one pair I got, I cheaped out on, and they fell apart. 
Um, but everything else, like I'm set. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I have maybe six or seven pairs of shoes. That's it. Um, with a suit, go with navy. Start with navy, then go to charcoal gray. Uh, a basic jeans. Don't overthink it. Men tend, everybody tends to overthink it. And also, uh, bring a sense of occasion to your life. You know, uh, we're watching this, you know, this reboot of Sex and the City, this new chapter, yeah. and just yeah. like that, which I'm enjoying. Yeah. And Carrie's going through what she's going through. No spoilers for anybody who hasn't caught on yet, but she's going through something. And there are several moments I've noticed in the last, I would say, couple of episodes post-incident, as it were, where she's kind of, in the story, she's kind of saved by an outfit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to slip into this pair of shoes. Right. I'm going to put this dress on or wear this hat. She'll feel like her again. And I'm going to yeah. step out and I'm going to feel yeah. better. And there's really something to that. It seems very frivolous and stupid, but I remember during lockdown when we were all shut down, I was I was furloughed from my job at the time. I would on occasion, Rick, no shit, like put on a suit and some nice shoes, shave, and just go for a walk and get a cup of coffee, yeah. and I felt better. It's stupid. Um, that's not how I walk around the house now. I mean, when I work at home, I'm in like jeans and a t-shirt, but... And that's not to say that there isn't a place for uh, casual wear, because I walk my I don't walk my dogs in like a tailored suit or no, something. But there is something to that, you know. In my job, I'm not required to wear a suit or tie, but every so often I'll put one on because it just feels nice. It just feels like, oh, I'm I'm in a professional environment. I'm going yeah. to look professional, or just you want to go out and look nice. I've never <laughs> you know? been required to wear one. Yeah. Ever. Um, it became my uniform at my job because my boss, my friend, Dr. Analik, was like, I like how these look. Yeah. Let's make it a thing. I'm like, great. <laughs> you know, gives me an excuse. Yeah, like I'm supposed to wear this. <laughs> but it yeah. made the experience for patients like so much nicer. because yeah, they a professional environment when you walk in. Front of house, baby. Face yeah. of the brand. Um, so, yeah, bring a sense of occasion to your life and make it special. Women typically do it better. There is that narrative that women dress for each other mm-hmm. out of competition. Great. If that's the yeah. case, they look nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I see so many times I will see a couple where the woman looks nice. She's got on a nice heel, a cocktail dress, a nice skirt or whatever, or a suit. And the guy is like dressed like it's her job to look hot. Mm-hmm. And no, I'm sorry, boner killer. What are you doing? <laughs> You know, she looks, she put forth something for you. Where's your effort? Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't think we need more casual. I think we're all set there. Like, that is a loud chorus. Yeah. And one of my inspirations on that front is the film director, Paul Feig, who, again, he's not required to wear a suit, but that's the look that he has chosen. Yeah. And it is fabulous. Yeah, I love Paul Feig. I so do he's too. always. Dressed, dressed oh. to the nines. Someone like also like Paul F. Tompkins always wears a suit. You know, he's always dressed up it, just to come out to do his comedy or just in, in his life. Yeah. He's always dressed yeah. up. He was he was a guest on this show years ago. So, I just, do uh, you know Greg Proops? Yes. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. Like he dresses up. He's got a look. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it doesn't have to be like the very pressed British like 007 thing. Some guys have that very casual suit, like it's unstructured, it's cotton or whatever, but it's like, it's a, it's something. Like, find something that isn't sweatpants. Right. And isn't, you know, a croc or, well, sneakers are, it's different. That's a culture. And I get it. Um, but um, to find something. Like, zhuzh it up, please. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you got your start um, 
your acting start in theater. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned also that you, um, or actually you didn't mention it, but you mentioned Sex and the City. You had a, a, a role in an episode of the original series there, which was uh, a hilarious uh, part, <laughs> which is great. Uh, but going back to your, um, your start in theater, have you considered ever returning to the stage? I would, for the record, whoever's listening, <laughs> I would love to go back to the theater. I would love to get back in front of a camera that I'm also not holding. Right. Um, I am really eager to get back to scripted content. I love doing plays. I've missed it terribly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So to yes, answer your question. He's ready for it. <laughs> I'm willing, eager, and ready. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, something I love, and I suspect uh, other fans of yours do as well, is how authentic you are. Uh, you come across as genuine without pretense. Uh, I never feel like you're curbing yourself or pushing uh, to the extreme for the sake of followers. I, I can always trust that when I see a George post, uh, I know it's going to be the real deal, uh, and it's presented charismatically. You know, so it's, I'm going to enjoy it, but I also know, oh, this is real. Have you always known who you are in that way, presenting yourself with unabashed uh, honesty, or is it something that you came to after a series of youthful personality trials and errors? Interesting. Um, I would say no. I have not. I've not always been this comfortable in my skin. Mm-hmm. Um, something happened. A lot of it is pandemic related. I often call my work on social media with video, with live videos in particular, or with all of them for that matter. Uh, it's performative therapy mm-hmm. because for me, it's an exhale of sorts. Yeah. And I very early on when I started to do these things, I got feedback and still to this day get a ton of it from people who tell me how much they identify with what I am talking about or going through and how much it helps them. And the authenticity word comes up a lot and you're so real. Um, I spent a lot of years, Rick, trying to be something that I thought other people wanted me to be. And when you are at the bottom, which is really kind of where I've been for most of the ride, um, I just, I don't have the, I'm, I'm, I'm staring at the back nine in life. I'm 51. I have neither the time nor the interest nor the energy to put on that act. Um, I remember when I was starting out as an actor in New York and I was my my intro was on soap operas and I was an extra on Guiding Light and then finally they gave me a line and then more lines and then I was a recurring day player for a while. But I remember being told, don't let anyone know you're gay. They will never call you back. Like somebody told me that. And so I worked very hard at projecting straight. Because it was, you know, I wanted to work. I wanted to get a foot in the industry. And I was, it was all fear. Um, now I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I really don't. Life is too short. Um, uh, I have met and known people who are trapped in some way in their own little cage for whatever reason and afraid to be an authentic self. And I just, like, that's exhausting. Like, don't let so-and-so know about this. I'm like, Really? You know, it's just that is like the the VCR of attitudes. Like, wow, we're still a lot of people are still there. So I don't I don't see the point in being any other way. 
I don't. Yeah. And it's, it's refreshing because like you said, so many people are that way. And it's all I have to offer. Yeah. Well, you, I can you. only, um, the only thing I can bring to the table is my own experience, strength, and hope. Yeah. As it were. Yeah. Um, in recent months, you were brought in by Extra as a correspondent mm -hmm. um, to conduct interviews, one notably being with Jerry Seinfeld and another at the premiere of The Shrink Next Door where you had a lovely, joyful, tearful reunion with your cousin Catherine. Um, you have a great knack and ease for on-air conversation. Is this a path that you're currently pursuing? I will walk through any door that opens. Yeah. Um, it was a surprise to me. When it came, I got a manager. Um, my manager is a friend of mine, and his wheelhouse is really um, like talk TV. Mm -hmm. You know, his clients are either like you know, presenters or hosts on shows, or you know, one of his clients is like a trainer who has like a profile with a very popular exercise regimen, kind of a thing, and product endorsements and stuff like that. And that's his wheelhouse. And the extra thing came from that connection. Mm -hmm. And when it first came about. He said, would you be into that? I thought, well, sure, I'll give it a try. And then the first thing that came into my lap was Jerry. Yeah. No pressure. <laughs> but oddly, you'd think I would be terrified. I felt oddly at ease. Yeah. Because again, I'm not, I wasn't trying to be someone that I'm not. I knew exactly when I wanted to talk to Jerry Seinfeld about it. I mean, there was a certain, there were certain bullet points sure. we had to hit. Because that was about, um, Seinfeld, all the episodes coming to Netflix. Yeah. And Netflix has the exclusive on that sitcom. And so we had to keep it to that. But I had there was I had room to do, like, bring up other things in uh, my time with him. I loved it. I could have gone on with for an hour with him. Uh, so I'm very comfortable in it. Do I want to do just that? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, as you mentioned, you want to get back to some scripted content. which. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I just noticed watching those how comfortable you were. I loved yeah. it. I would yeah. love to be, like... Uh, Dick Cavett or Charlie Rose minus the harassment. Yeah, it would be, you know, just thinking about that, you know, I, I personally would love a, a you know, a, a George Hahn talk show, you know, where you're <laughs> interviewing, you know, just people you know or just people you are, you admire. You and know, yeah, it was, just, it's not like a deep dive interview. Yeah. I think like, actually Oprah, not that I'm going to put myself on that <laughs> level, but like Oprah is probably the, one of the closest contemporary examples, I think. Where it's not 60 minutes, mm -hmm. it's not a deep dive, gotcha, get to the thing like that. I don't want to, I'm not interested in that conversation. Yeah. I'm friendly fire. Like, I'm, it's like chatting with friends. Yeah. But even when Oprah has on someone like, you know, Meghan Markle, mm -hmm. um, she's not, it's not a gotcha interview yeah. or something. That's not the conversation she's having. It's other people, like, we already got a guy for that. Yeah. Like, she's not doing that. Um, so, yeah, I like that. I love the clips. I need to start watching old clips of Dick Cavett. Although Dick could kind of go there, but there were it was never boring. Yeah. And um it looked good and um yeah, somebody brought up to me. I was I had uh I was at a party for Christmas Eve dinner and um a woman said was talking about the same thing. Like she said she said she'd love to see a George Hunt talk show. And I said, "All right, here's a question for you." Studio audience or no? Yeah, that's that's tricky because studio audience is great to get reactions, but, right? But no audience, then you can just dive just in without having to pander. Perform. Yeah, to perform right. exactly. Yeah, so so it's yeah. interesting. And she said, she said, 
maybe no studio audience and she said maybe a a table like mm. we're talking right now she yeah. said not like oprah where you're in a chair and the subject's in a chair yeah like where you can put your elbows down and sure. really like have a conversation again i would yeah. love that <laughs> yeah that would be yeah I was, I was thinking about that when i was you know preparing this interview like oh i'd love to, to hear george interview you know just any number of people i, I would love <laughs> talking to people yeah. i love talking to people the drag is that i've made my bread and butter for the last year and a half talking to myself right. i would really like to shine that on other people yeah you you've You've done an admirable job shining in the pandemic. I mean, we're living in this world where we have to, you know, isolate ourselves from other people, and you still are finding a way to connect to people, mm-hmm. even though you personally are just holding a phone. You know, right. you're you're just talking to yourself to them, um, but but people are connecting to it, um, and I think that's. As I said, admirable. I think uh, I think it's really great that you've been able to find this audience, and that the audience has been able to find you. Um, and I just, you know, from my own sake, I was like, oh, I want to see more. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, and I'm sure you do too. You know, just want I want I want the world to now open up another avenue for you to do this same thing on a wider scale. Now, again, you know, that's probably your. your I'm not speaking. You know, just I would myself, love for that to happen, but yeah. I'm just waiting, so let's make for, it happen. <laughs> waiting for that bell to ring. Yeah, exactly. The doors, if the door opens, you're going I will through walk it. through it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, this is actually the last question I have here, which is, um, as an inspiration yourself, <laughs> who inspires you? <laughs> who inspires me? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's not just one person. It's probably several people. And i got to think about this for a second. I'm always inspired. I think about Joan Rivers a lot, actually, because that was such a tentpole experience in my life because Joan was, let me dial back a second, the pandemic and what everybody has been through, not just me, um, has been really hard. I've had a really hard time. Like Mm -hmm. I put on a show, sure, you know, and sometimes I will look like yesterday's walk. I didn't do a walk today uh, because it's just literally it was too cold to hold the phone Yeah, because I do it with bare hands. Um, but yesterday I voiced, I just kind of like let go with like these frustrations that I'm having right now, which is that everybody is somewhere else. Like, you know, I've got this audience, they love New York. They love seeing New York through my eyes, my videos, my commentary, whatever, but no one's here. Like everyone's somewhere else in a country house, a Hampton, you know, Florida, California, you know, I have no one to play with. Mm -hmm. And, um... It's extremely frustrating. Like, I cannot, I can barely tolerate one more FaceTime call. Right, yeah. You know, these virtual friendships and virtual connections, it's lovely, and I'm grateful for it. I really am, but I've just, I I hit a wall with it yesterday, and I just kind of, like, let it out. Yeah. Um, so... It's been a hard time. I'm not going to deny it. Like I, you know, people look to me and have said, you are just like, you're such a source of strength and this and this. No one's got my back. I have to hold myself up. Sure. And I remember Joan Rivers a lot. And I remember, I think about a woman and, you know, she had her, she had, people had problems with her. And I understand why. Um... I have friend. Uh, I know people who, to whom she was mean and unkind, mm-hmm. and I get it. Um, but this is a woman who was knocked down so many times, told that she was done, 
um, her husband killed himself suddenly and left her broke and in debt and unemployable. And she, you know, that would have collapsed a lot of people. Yeah. Not her. Um, and then in the wake of that, um, or, or like with that setting the stage, she built a jewelry empire, an apparel empire. At the age of 81, she was peaking with the most popular show on E! Who does that at 81? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think about Joan a lot. She's a huge inspiration. Um, sartorially, I <laughs> Paul Fig, living mm-hmm. example. Um, I have my no longer living favorites, of course, like Cary Grant, Steve McQueen. Um, and who doesn't want to be James Bond for at least for a minute? Although that would be a rough life. <laughs> um, who inspires me? Uh, the people I've met and connected to, you mentioned some names at the top of this conversation. Um, you know, Richard Marks has been an inspiration and a real friend. Um, Jen Aniston, uh, going it, like doing her own thing and not, she very publicly said she's not going to be interacting with people who aren't vaccinated. I really respect that. Um, and she is, I respect and admire Jerry Seinfeld. There's another one. I respect and admire, here's what I'm looking for. I respect and admire anyone who does this on their own terms. You know, Richard lives life on his own terms. Jen lives life on her own terms. Jerry lives life on his own terms. Now, these are wealthy examples. Sure. And it's easy to say, well, they have money. They can do whatever they want. But that's not to say that everybody can't sort of adopt that credo. Mm -hmm. I kind of live like – I live on my own terms. You know, I learned during my job with my cosmetic dermatologist boss and friend. Yeah. I love working with him. I have no love for – it was my very first time in a corporate environment with an HR department. Like, I am not that animal. I'm not good at that. I really buck up against it a lot. You know, like when you're told X and you don't understand the reason for X and you're not given a reason for X. Right. Just how it is. Right. Yeah. Not good enough for me. Yeah. I need to know why. Um, and it has nothing to do with him. Like, he doesn't run that sure. ship. He's just like um, a doctor in the practice. But I learned about myself. I'm not that creature. And I do not thrive in that environment. I was really unhappy near the end but i miss him terribly we're still in touch a lot um so i do kind of live life on my own terms um which is nice yeah you know i can take a day off i can go sit in a movie house for an afternoon now i gotta hustle my ass off to make ends meet um right now it's a game of uh, in terms of making it work financially, I have to jump through to make a hundred dollars. I have to jump through a hundred hoops worth a dollar. Yeah. I would like to get to a point where I could jump through five hoops that are each worth twenty dollars, or one hoop worth a dollar, a hundred dollars exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Kara Swisher, I admire. Uh, she's a journalist, a tech journalist. Yeah, and you've been on her podcast. Yeah. Yeah. She asked me to guest host. I was blown away. When that happened, but she's, you know, she's tough. 
A lot of people are afraid of her. Some people don't like her. I get it. She pulls no punches. She doesn't care what team you're on. Uh, but she lives life on her own terms. Bill Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Photographer. Yeah. Photographer for the New York Times. If anybody is not familiar, I highly recommend the documentary Bill Cunningham, New York. Um, he did life on his own terms. Like down to if he were in his black, if he were in his tux covering a gala event for the Times. And they would offer him like, Bill, can we fix you a plate of food? Can we get you? He would not, he would not take so much as a glass of water. Because he did not want to owe anybody anything. Mm-hmm. When he went on a job to photograph it, he would not accept a glass of water because he didn't want to be, like, tied to anything. Sure. I love the purity of that. Um, and also with Bill, um, he did what he loved, and he was really good at it. We hear that all the time, like, do what you love. Find your passion. There's another half to that. You also have to be really fucking good at it yeah. and work really hard. Um, you can see that whenever you go into a WeWork. I don't know what they look like now, but they would like be painted on the wall like artful graffiti. Do what you love. It's like, yeah, but that's incomplete. <laughs> you also have – like there's a reason you're going to have a lot of turnover in these offices because these people were like maybe not the best. It's, you know. Yeah. Be good at it. <laughs> be really good at it yeah. and you have to be willing to work really hard at it. And then. Be better or find an avenue that makes you better than someone else that's also fighting for that same yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's been fun to be like, I love Randy Rainbow as an inspiration. I mean, talk about a guy who, you know, and he does it all himself. Yeah. And he does it on his own terms. I adore Randy. We've never met. We exchange on Twitter. Um, maybe that is one of my goals this year is actually to have lunch with him. I should make that happen. But um, I really admire him. You know, yeah. he built his own boat. Yeah. I say this often, and I'll close the answer with this. All right. Um, I have spent so many years and a lot of time and a lot of energy pining to be invited to someone else's table when, in fact, what I've been doing is kind of making my own. Sure. Instead of waiting for the invitation, I've made my own in a way. Yeah. You know? Randy made his own table. Joan Rivers made her own table. Um, yeah. Bill Cunningham kind of made his own table. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Now, just to the listeners, if you're not already following, you can find uh, find George on Twitter, Instagram, uh, both Twitter and Instagram at, at George Hahn, and on TikTok at George Hahn NYC. And uh, you can also find and book him on Cameo. Um, I, I, <laughs> I just did another one last night. <laughs> it's, um, I'm always seeing the, the reviews of how, how great those are. I haven't done one myself, but, you know, just... Can I tell you something about <laughs> sure, those? Sure, of course. Are, like, most of them are birthdays, yeah. and it's really fun. And I got a couple of holiday ones for some Christmas presents for some fans. Um, but I've had several from people who get them for themselves. Oh, yeah. Because they need a little pick-me-up. Oh, that's, that's nice. That's, yeah. Yeah. And uh, especially the ones that – and these are difficult because I care. Like I want it to be good, so I work at them. Um, you know, when people are parting with hard-earned money on you, you owe it to them. You know, it's part of the job. So I'm not lazy about these things. And like people said, my father died this year, and I'm, you know, alone for the first time this Christmas. And you just go, you know, where do I find the joke in that? Like mm-hmm. how do I – you know, it's tricky, but – I am really touched 
that people see me for something like that. Sure. Yeah. I didn't see any of that coming. That's, None of that that's coming. It's touching. It's, it it's is. really yeah. lovely. Right. Thank you so much, George. This has been amazing. I've been really happy to, to get the chance to sit down with you and to uh, ask you these questions. And I've had a, uh, an amazing time. And just thank you again. Rick, this is my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you.